Hey, well, good morning. Welcome. Uh, we began a couple weeks ago a series called Jesus Speaks, and uh, it began in Matthew chapter 5 as Jesus uh, pulls a crowd uh, towards him on a hillside. People have been following him uh, for, for months and months. He's been healing people, uh, driving out demons, teaching people. And, and the crowd that he's gathered around him, that has gathered around him on, uh, on this mountainside, uh, is, uh, is a broken crowd. It's the marginalized people of Israel, those in desperate need of Jesus' help and his healing. He calls these people together and he began um, uh, saying, hey, blessed, blessed are the poor in spirit, right? Uh, these people that feel by religious and by cultural standards at the outside of anything God could be doing. In fact, they're asking questions of uh, what have I done wrong that I'm being punished in this way? And Jesus begins saying, hey, you are blessed when you are humble, when you're meek, when you're poor. And Jesus speaks blessings on this crowd of people. He continues, and last week Sarah spoke on uh, the heart of the matter, that the heart matters, um, that it's not good enough just to refrain from killing your brother. He says, hate within your heart is the beginning of it all. He, he says the heart matters. And this week he continues that subject, the heart matters. But he's going to speak to a very particular people and a very particular circumstance in Israel, and that, that is hypocrisy. Um, and he's going to speak most specifically to the religious and, um, and the governmental rulers of the day. Okay, so he's going to speak to the governors and the religious rulers, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and he's going to call them out. What's interesting about uh, what Jesus is going to do for us in a minute is uh, he's going to speak to good practices in their life, but call them hypocritical. It'll be interesting this morning as we, as we explore uh, both the details of what he has to say and the application in our lives, uh, because because hypocrisy runs rampant in our time and era as well, in, in politics, in religion, in our individual lives. Sometimes hypocrisy is quite heavy and uh, problematic. Sometimes it's much lighter and just the things that we see and deal with on a day-to-day -day basis, right? Uh, the ironies and the hypocritical things. And speaking of signs, check this guy out. He says, down with technology. For more inf information, visit our website, right? I mean, the hypocrisy that we're surrounded by continually in life. Now, Jesus is going to speak both to a very simple definition of hypocrisy, that is, say one thing and do another, right? So if I say something and I do something else, I've been hypocritical. But he's going to go a little bit deeper with it. As he begins to talk, as he continues to talk um, about the heart of the matter, that right actions born of wrong motivations, well, they're lacking, and and he uh, he calls them hypocritical. So here we begin. Um, we're going to start in Ma Matthew chapter six, verse sixteen. I will do my best not to jumble up Jesus' words, but I am going to do these this section in a different order. I think that's a totally different thing, so I think we're on uh, safe ground there. Here we go. Uh, he's going to begin in uh, chapter 6, verse 16 of Matthew. When you fast, do not look somber, as the hypocrites do, 
For they disfigure their faces to show others that they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Let's talk about this phrase, um, hypocrite, that he uses here as he speaks of the religious and political leaders of the day. He, uh, he uses this word hypocrite that is not translated into English here in Matthew, but in 1611, when it was first translated from the Greek into the English, it's a transliteration. So they use the same word pronounced nearly exactly the same in Greek as in English, uh, and they just used the Engl- English letters. They borrowed that word to be redefined, to be understood in, um, in the English language. And n- now the Greek people, as they heard this word, hypocrite, they thought of stage actors. You see, the actors on a stage at a play, the people performing for a crowd, they were called hypocrites. So, so they understood what he meant when he said, the way you live your life, the fact that you uh, fast, in, in this first example, is not wrong. Fasting was an Israelite practice. Um, it's denying oneself something for the very purpose, distinct purpose, of uh, fo- uh, focusing more attention on God and spending time in prayer. And so fasting was not the problem. But he says, you are a stage actor. You are a hypocrite in the way you practice your fasting. He said, you do it so that people can see you rather than for its intent, which is a season of focus on God, a season of of extra prayer in life. He says to these religious and, um, and political leaders of the day, he says, your act, though okay, is hypocritical because of your motivation. And he says to them, you've received your reward in full. He, he, he says, sure, people see it. People think you're super pious. They think you're so good and amazing, but it's just a show. You've received your reward in full. God rewards those who act out of a different motivation. And he goes on. We'll go to chapter 6, verse 1. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others, to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But I tell you, give to the needy. Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. So Jesus takes a second example in the lives of Israelite people as a whole, but speaks specifically again to this hypocritical people who choose to give to the poor not out of a sense of love or obligation or support within their community, but so that they can be seen by people. He says, you have received your reward in full. There's no reward when your motivation is to be a stage actor rather than caring for the people and the world that God has called them and us into. 
And he continues on the subject of prayer. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. But truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, don't keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. And we'll pause there, and then we'll read that prayer in a minute. Jesus again speaks to this people who choose to say their prayers on a street corner with their arms in the air and beautiful robes with eloquent speech, expecting that they will be praised because their prayers are so beautiful. And Jesus says, the purpose of prayer is so contrary to what you're doing. You're nothing but a stage actor standing on a street corner. He says, when you pray instead, do it quietly before your, before your heavenly Father. He says, go into a closet or somewhere quiet and spend time on your knees with your heavenly Father. And as we read Jesus' prayer here, we won't dissect it and look at all the intricacies of it. We'll look a little bit at those, but primarily I want to listen in this prayer for the type of posture Jesus invites us to engage our heavenly Father with, the type of posture that also relates back to our uh, acts of righteousness, our giving to the needy, or our fasting, or the things that we set aside for God. Listen for the posture that Jesus invites us to in prayer. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, And forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Jesus demonstrates this prayer for us. He begins by exalting God, saying, God, you are holy you are high. And he says, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And friends, let me just say that like as a church and as we begin this journey, this is something that really pricks at our heartstrings. This is something that tugs at our heartstrings and draws us into what God is doing. It is this idea that we are not an isolated community, community to be pulled away from the world around us. But Jesus' prayer is that God's kingdom come down on earth, that it begin to transform the way people act and look and transform communities and transform this world. Jesus' prayer is your kingdom come and your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. And this is part of the dream that this all begin with, saying, I believe that God's kingdom transposed on this earth can have a remarkable a beautiful impact on the things happening around us. So Jesus says, you are high and you are holy, but God, you are coming down to earth. Your kingdom is coming down. May your will be done here as it is in heaven. And he prays this simple prayer, just for my daily bread. 
He's not asking for, you know, that new car, that Lamborghini, right? Uh, or the first century equivalent. I don't know. It's some sort of donkey-drawn cart. I don't know. Um, he's not asking for these big and glamorous things, right? No, he's asking just for my daily bread, the simple things in life. Then he says, forgive us, but he links it with our ability to forgive others. He says, Father, continue to forgive us our wrongs, but teach us also to forgive others. May your forgiveness in our lives be reciprocal as as we learn to forgive the people around us. Do you hear the posture in that prayer? Can you see it contrasted to the Pharisees standing on the street corners and yelling their beautifully eloquent prayers for everyone to hear? Stage actors wanting the attention of the crowds. But listen to the, to the posture in Jesus' prayer. Father, I just ask what I need today. Father, give me my daily bread. Help me with my needs. Father, deliver me from temptation and from evil in this life. Father, that your kingdom come down to this earth, that your will will be done in my life and the world around me. It's a beautiful prayer. You've likely recited it in your life and seen it many times. It never loses its beauty for me. The simplicity and the posture that Jesus demonstrates in prayer is remarkable to me. So we ask ourselves today, we can picture in the first century the way Jesus calls out in uh in, in no gentle terms, these religious and political leaders that live their lives as a show for people to see for their own glory, their, their spirituality plays out in ways that has very little to do with God, maybe in action, but not at all in heart. And he calls them out and he says, it's, it's hypocrisy. He says, it is a hypocritical life when our motivation becomes to be seen by others. And so we ask ourselves today, what does hypocrisy look like in our lives and the world around us? And it's a hard question to ask because let's be honest, if a friend or your spouse were to say to you, you're such a hypocrite, that would really hurt, right? These are not simple terms or easy things. But in transparency, I'd like to consider how hypocrisy plays out on our lives on a daily basis. For some of it, it looks like this. Why sneak my kids Halloween candy? Doesn't need the sugar, probably doesn't like it. No, it's mainly just that he's asleep and I want his candy, right? So hypocrisy plays out in all sorts of aspects of our life. In its simplest definition, uh, I say one thing and I do another, um, it makes us unbelievable, right? We lose credibility in the eyes of others when we say one thing and do something other. other. Brennan Manning, an author and a brilliant man, wrote these words years ago. He said, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips walk out the the door, and deny him with their lifestyles. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. Now, if you're a fan of DC Talk in the 90s, you know this quote, right? And you thought DC Talk 
wrote this line. Um, but in fact, they uh, were quoting a brilliant statement by Manning. He says, how does a world find Christianity believable? If we come in here on a Sunday and play lip service to God and then walk out and every action in our life and every motivation that drives us is contrary to what God has invited us to. He says that's what an unbelieving world finds simply unbelievable. And so the first challenge we start to see in Jesus' words today uh, are that our lives match the things we believe, that, that our actions not be relegated to an hour a week, but we are invited to live out the love that God has demonstrated to us in the world around us on a continual basis. He says hypocrisy will be avoided as we choose to live out the things that we believe, the things that we'll express with our mouths. But Jesus speaks of hypocrisy in a broader sense than just what I say versus what I do. In this text, he begins to speak to the heart of the matter. In the broader meaning of Jesus' language, he refers to um, our living out the Christian commands, um, but that the heart has to match what we're saying and what we're believing. You see, in the case of the Pharisees, um, their effort to uh, impress the people around them, it perverted even their best acts, right? Their fasting and their prayer and the giving to the poor. But the state of their heart, their desire to impress people, had perverted even the good things that they were doing. You know, um, hypocrisy in our lives today allows us to adhere to a few moral principles that are valuable to us, attend church once a week, and then feel justified and right in our relationship with God because of that. And uh, there's nothing wrong with any of those things, living by morals, attending church, those are all good things. But when it causes us to begin to think that we have earned some sort of righteousness in the eyes of God, that we have done what we need to do, well, that's so contrary to the gospel of grace. The, the story that says that when we were weakest, when we were least, God gave the gift to us. God gave us grace and hope. And I only bring that up not to say that any of those things were wrong, nor was fasting or prayer um, or, uh, what's my last one, giving to the needy, right? They're not wrong things. But today Jesus invites us to consider the state of our heart. He invites us to consider the motivations behind the things that we do. Jesus refers to both to, to prayer, to fasting, and to giving to the needy. And they're all essential elements of living out our faith. Uh, fasting isn't done as much uh, culturally today. Um, sometimes it's mistaken for uh, dieting um, or uh, it's used to cover up eating disorders. So sometimes fasting is a, is a really difficult subject to speak on. Often fasting was done uh, in, in a season of trying to make a major decision in life. Fasting had the purpose of giving up something for the distinct purpose of focusing, being more attentive on God. So uh, 
Fasting, is something we're invited to? Should that be something God has laid on our heart? In Sarah and my decision in church planting or other careers a few years ago as we were deeply exploring, it was in a, a brief time of fasting and prayer um, that I felt God change our heart most distinctly in that journey. Uh, it was the day that our questions went from God, should we? What do we do next? Um, to the day that I realized the questions I was journaling that morning was, God, who will you call with us on this journey? You know? Um, it was in that season that, that God began to turn our hearts. In our prayer lives, I, I don't know what each of our prayer lives look like. Some of us have very devout, involved prayer lives with very specific routines and then opportunities just throughout a day to say an extra word. Some of us struggle to find those rhythms. Jesus provides a beautiful model and demonstrates for us a posture that we take as we pray to our Heavenly Father, on our knees, humbly acknowledging Him as good, our need for him, inviting his work in our life and the world around us. And as we give to the needy, he says, uh, again, something essential to our faith lived out that we care for hurting people around us. It is vital to who we are as followers of Jesus. And he says, don't make it a show, though. Give because you care, right? It'll require transformation in our heart, to not just hand it out out of obligation or to look good in front of our kids and to teach them a lesson, right? Uh, but instead, as we're transformed to say, this is a person created in God's image as I am. This is someone I am called to love, to care for. This is what Jesus invites us to, what he calls us to. And so I consider this morning, uh, what does it look like to live out Jesus' teaching here in Matthew chapter 6? Well, as a church, um, we strive to serve others and to worship God with in integrity, that it's not a show. And if you're newer here with us, you noticed it's not too much of a show. Um, as much as we want to do things well, our dream above that, far above that, is authenticity. It's not our dream or our pursuit as we begin this church to be the next mega church in town, but instead to strive for balance. And I noticed in Jesus' teaching here, the three subjects he chose to speak about hypocrisy on, something that's been uh, very central to us since we began, trying to find a balanced approach in church and in our personal lives and our small groups. And, and um, I'm going to borrow from uh, Mike Breen, a guy who uh, developed and writes for 3DM, and he speaks of up, in, and out. He says, think of a triangle, just a really simple illustration that helps us to consider What's important, the up referring to God, the in referring to either ourselves, the way we, way we care for ourselves and operate individually, or the in referring to the church, right? Uh, so the up referring to God, the in referring to the church or to our personal lives, and the out referring to the world around us. And each one of us is probably most geared towards one of those, Very, pretty, pretty capable when we focus on it in a second, and quite lacking in a third. He says that's just usually the way it plays out in organization and in individual people's lives. It's just usually the way we're, we're most geared for one. And so as a church, uh, you know, on Sundays we come and we worship, 
and we dig into God's word and we explore what does he have for us. Uh, the inn uh, is probably the most lacking thing right now amongst us. Uh, in 2018, it is our dream um, to create more conversational, more relational spaces. Uh, it's hard meeting in a school. We don't get to sit down and study the Bible before church. You know, we do Bible studies before church. Um, so, so one of our dreams right now is that we get a little bit better at the inn. And then the out. Uh, this is where God sends us into the world. And uh, this is an area that from the beginning, uh, I've been a part of uh, far too many churches, and, and I myself operated in ways that uh, we worship and we do all our right things, but never gain a vision for the apartment complexes within a 100 yards of our church buildings Never gain a vision or a passion for engaging the world around us. Never get, gain a passion for telling the world that God loves you, that, that God is inviting you into his fold, right? Um, so up, in, and out. And, and I'd never noticed in Jesus' teaching until today um, that this is exactly what he addresses. He says, you're up in your prayer to God. Do it with authenticity, with a humble posture. He says the in, in your personal spiritual practices of fasting or whatever it is that you do in your life to dedicate time to God, he says, don't make it a show. No, in the in, uh, be authentic. And he says in the out, in the ways that you serve other people, it's not about the show. It's not about the congratulations you get for being such a good person. Jesus speaks to these three very things. So today, uh, as a church, we dream of this kind of authenticity, of this humble posture before God that preempts the hypocrisy that rages around us in the world. This humble posture, I believe, is what Jesus invites us to, to counteract the tendency towards striving for our own betterment, towards our own praise and things of that nature. And so today, as individuals, we, uh, we choose a humble posture before God and in the world that we're called into. Let's pray as we close out. Father God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for an opportunity to explore Jesus' words, and Father, they were harsh in many ways. Um, Father, we, we don't want to be hypocrites, and yet there's aspects of our lives in which um, I know I myself, Father, uh, find myself leaning towards hypocrisy instead of authenticity and humbleness before you and in the world. So, Father, I pray that you will um, cleanse us of that. Father, that you will clear out of our lives the pride and the things that stand in the way. And, Father, we invite you um, to transform our hearts, that we can learn uh, to love you, to love others, to engage in our daily practices, Father, out of a humble posture in love, in thanks for what you've done. So, Father, as we leave here today, uh, open our eyes to the hypocrisy, the ways we play, uh, we, we act in our lives. Father, I pray that you will help us to see those. And, Father, teach us authenticity. Teach us humility, Father, that we can engage in response to your love to us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.